Thank you so much, Pastor Caroline. Pastor Jennifer has already alluded to as much, but who here remembers being asked in kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up? That was a fundamental question for all of us. Little did we know it at the time, but that question was touching on a much larger calling on your life known as vocation. It didn't just ask, what job do you want to have when you grow up? I did a little research of my own, so I put out a Facebook question, and 125 people responded in but a short amount of time. As I began to look at their responses, I realized that it fell under one of four categories. Service, adventure, builder, and giver. More specifically, people, some of whom are in the pews today, said that they wanted to become the following. Astronauts, teachers, mothers, police officer, fireman, architect, unless, of course, you were Nancy Hicks and you answered, we didn't have kindergarten when I was that young. (laughs) All of these responses from your mouths, but more importantly, from your hearts, speak to a people who at one point were in contact with what the calling on their life was. Vocation. It comes from the Latin word vocatus. It means the calling or to be called on. And my conjecture today is that each and every one of us has a calling on our life. But there are far too many who realize that they do not possess the freedom to pursue that noble calling, which I believe God created within you when he created each and every one of you. And moreover, I believe that there are far too many of us who yet have to answer the question, what am I called for? In answering that question, we can become the fulfillment of those words written by Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Scripture which I've asked each and every one of you to write upon your heart with daily reflection, and dare I even say, memorize it in a translation that's most accessible to you. Those words go as such. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to realize and to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul talking to a church in Ephesus that he wanted to be rooted, something that meant a unity that could not be moved and fundamental to the root structure of this, our church, are people who embrace the freedom that they possess in Christ, a freedom that allows them to pursue the vocation upon their life, the vocation that can answer the question, Who am I called to be 
Now, this is for every single person of every age, demographic, and stage in life. If you are a child or a youth or a college student, this question is for you. If you are an adult already having established a professional life, this question is for you. If you are someone who's retired or has been retired for some time, this question is for you and the answers which you provide through relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe, will not only affect you personally so that you and your life are rooted, but moreover, as we overlay calling upon calling in this, our faith family at First Baptist Church, that we are rooted Paul, one who is an expert at interpretation of the Old Testament, for he was a Hasidic Jew, one of the school of the Pharisees, one who knew the law backwards and forwards, and then in an encounter with Christ realized that the completion of his faith would be realized through Jesus Christ, oftentimes looks back upon the Old Testament and gives it new interpretation, complete interpretation, because of the relationship he has with Jesus. One such pivotal passage that he reflects on in the scripture that was read to you by our pastor Caroline is from Exodus chapters 33 and 34. Paul uses an interpretation tool called Midrash, one word spelled M-I-D-R-A-S-H, wherein he takes certain creative liberties to make a larger point. He looks back upon a time in the life of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, when they themselves, even though having been freed from Pharaoh's cruel hand, were yet still in captivity because they had not embraced the freedom of their hearts. They had been given one set of the Old Testament, which was known to us better as the Ten Commandments. But in Moses' fury, he broke those stone tablets when he returned to camp and saw that idolatry had set in amongst those people. But then he's called back to Mount Sinai, And in that exchange, not only does he ask for a new set of the Ten Commandments, but more importantly, he asks to see God's glory. Now God says, Moses, you cannot behold my face, for any person that sees my face will surely die. But here is what I will do. Hide there in the cleft of that rock, and you will see my glory passing by. As God passes by, Moses looks and sees only God's back. But so resplendent is the sight that when he returns back to camp, the Israelites can dare look upon him. Now this is where I believe Paul's interpretation of those events takes on interesting meaning. Paul says that the leaders of the camp put a veil upon Moses' face. I always thought it was because the glory of the Lord that was reflected in Moses' face was too bright and bold and terrible to behold. Paul says something else. 
Paul says that this veil protected the people from experiencing the disappointment of seeing that glorious face of Moses after he had beheld the freedom of the Lord slowly dim from their sight. So in order to preserve hope, the veil was placed upon Moses. This, Paul says, was only after a new start that brought condemnation, only after what was old. And therefore, Paul points to, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, of how bold and beautiful then is that new covenant established by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, one that proclaims freedom for all time, Because the spirit of the Lord, Paul says, is freedom. And that same freedom resides in those who profess and follow Jesus forever and ever and ever. So in comparison to Moses, our glory never dims. We are not people that have to walk around with a veil over our face For fear of disappointing others, no, we are ones who can clearly remove the veil and live in the truest sense of vocatus, vocation, our calling, our heart's desires, because we have unending access to that power. But Paul also says, even though that is our freedom, we, like the Israelites, oftentimes choose mentalities and emotions of captivity. Maybe we don't call it a veil, but maybe it's more apropos in this time and age to say that we all wear a mask. This mask is not our true calling, not our true selves, but it is something that projects what we think The world needs us to be. We think that the world needs us to make money. We think that the world needs us to have position and title. We think that the world needs us to garner and maintain popularity. But we also know that in order to do these things, we turn our back on vocation. And instead, we put on a mask. Now here's the thing about wearing masks. You can get by. You can fit in. But at the end of the life that we are blessed with here on this earth, it does not, nor can it ever, answer the question, who am I called to be? Nor does it allow us to embrace the freedom, the full-fledged freedom that Jesus Christ wants to unleash in the heart of every believer. Jesus talked about that. He talked about people that wore masks all the time. And when I read this as a child, I always think that Jesus is putting these that he called hypocrites down. But as you know... That hypocrite, a word that Jesus often used in reference to the Jewish leaders, is nothing more than an English translation of a Greek word that meant Hippocrates, an 
actor. And in that Greek culture, every actor wore giant masks. They had a hole through that mask that was like a megaphone through which they could pronounce their lines to the audience. But as they donned these huge masks, many times larger than this one, their identity was obscured. Nobody knew who was behind the mask. And therefore, Jesus says, you hypocrite. But in his critique... There's also an invitation. Jewish leaders who, through religiosity, would put others down, malign them, keep them outside of the God's grace. Jesus is proclaiming that you are living behind a mask. You're created for far more. There's a freedom that you have yet to claim. There's a question that you have yet to to answer. And so when Jesus cries out to those and says, you hypocrites, it's more of his calling on their life, saying, put down the mask. Let people see who you really are. When you read the word of God, no longer read it with the veil of the old covenant. Take off the veil No longer let your light and your vision be dimmed by darkness, but embrace the true freedom that is yours through a relationship with your heavenly Father through me, his only begotten Son. I think Jesus would speak similarly to us today. In our lives, we all have certain masks Specifically, after a time in which we as a nation were all called upon to don masks, even when the pandemic ended, we realized that though we could remove the mask, the mask was still there. I think COVID, in one of its more injurious processes, was one that made people further hide in seclusion, further keep their true identity at bay. We hid behind screens, whether they be a smartphone, a television, a computer. And even while the world turned back to normal, we came back as injured and wounded people. Not only that we had further divorced ourselves from our calling, but we also had divorced ourselves from further connectivity one to another. That's why I believe that this time in the life of our church, for those who are here as well as those who are watching online, it is an awakening that Jesus similarly calls out to all of us, what's your vocation? What is God's calling upon your life? And did you know that you already possess the freedom to become your calling, to pursue God's desire upon you? Now, for those of you who already have a job, have had a job for many years, you might be thinking, well, pastor's asking me to turn in my resignation letter. So much for those 25 years of retirement that I've banked with my company. No, 
That's not what I'm asking you to do. Nor am I telling our children or our youth that they must enter into the ministry in order to possess a vocation. Nor am I telling our retirees that you have to return back to the workforce to enter a vocation. But what I am asking you to do is to be able to think past your own comfort for a moment and realize that the calling upon your life that God is issuing you today is one that requires you to risk something big for something good. Now let me say that again, because with just a simple letter change, vocation automatically becomes vacation. God's calling upon your life to risk something big for something good. One of the most disastrous masks that we wear as a society, specifically as Americans, specifically as a church that is largely educated and holds professional degrees, is we think that the end of our life, the purpose, the point, is to have comfort You work hard, earn a good living, build up your retirement, so that one day, then, you can be free of it all. There's nothing more in contrast to what vocation and calling is. Vocation and calling calls upon each and every heart and mind to risk something big for something good, to suffer if needs be, and yes, even to sacrifice yourself. But in so doing, in so doing, I will promise you the following. Your relationship with Jesus Christ will never be stronger. For in pursuing vocation, for in pursuing something bigger than yourself, you will have but no other choice to return to Jesus and the salvific power that is in him for your life and to say in so many words, God, with you I can do all things. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Your life is further strengthened. Your roots of faith grow deeper. You become the answer to Paul's prayer. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may together with all the Lord's holy people grasp how wide and how deep and how high and how long is the love of Christ. There's one person that I want to reflect on as we conclude. By any account, he was an individual who had it all. He was heralded as a scholar and was but a young man still. He had a coveted position at Union Theological Seminary here in the United States. But upon his life, he knew that there was a greater calling still. You see, he could have hidden behind the mask of career and self, but he knew in that his homeland... There was a great injustice going on, and he had to return to his homeland to do his best to make it right. The young man's name was Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a young German theologian 
who ultimately decided not only to leave the United States and return to Germany, but even was a critic of what was to be terrible theology in the German church at that time. Theology which condoned hatred. Theology which condoned murder. Theology which condoned a Fuhrer who was, by all accounts, a madman. It was Bonhoeffer who decided that he, along with some fellow Christian dissidents, had to not only maintain theological purity to Christ, but ultimately, he even entered into a plot to kill and assassinate Hitler. That plot was discovered. And for his calling, Bonhoeffer was sentenced to the death camps. And there, upon the gallows, he died. You might say, what a terrible waste. A young man with a professional career set before him. A young man who had financial security and comfort. A young man who could have very well written and still had been widely published. But this one part of Bonhoeffer's life would have been missing. And it's that of his Legacy. A legacy which said calling, a vocation, is something that is untamed and wild. You do not know exactly where it will lead you, but you know that in the name of Jesus Christ, it means to leave a lasting legacy, not only the name for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but moreover, a lasting legacy for Jesus Christ, wherein people can look to tangible examples here in our very presence and say because they chose freedom, because they chose to remove the veil, because they chose the new instead of the old, because they chose to remove the mask and be their genuine selves, the world is different my life is better, and for that reason, I too dare to dream of a God's love who is so bold and beautiful that it could apply to me. So, church, as those called by freedom, as those with hearts that are unfurled to catch the full wind of the Holy Spirit, I invite you all to consider this vocational response and the hymn that you will sing. A response that rises up from what you feel and know here in your spirit, not just what you know in your head, that sets you free to become all that God is calling you to be and one that will be able to answer for all time. I know I am free. I know I am called. And to that end, I go. Would you pray? Our God in heaven, how desperately we desire your freedom and how scared we are oftentimes to accept it in its fullest sense. Help every heart, every spirit be unhinged and unhindered by the old. May the Lord who is spirit declare freedom for all of us so that we through work, through relationship, through service in this church and the community beyond, 
will continue to become people who fulfill that pivotal question of who we are being called to be. It is in your name we pray these things as we respond. Amen. Would you please stand and sing and respond as you feel so led?